This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Tis the season to be jolly. It is week 15 of the college football season. It is Army-Navy. It is the Heisman Trophy. And rockin' Rich Sermonello, it is a time to reflect on a great college football season that we've had in 2016. You know, it really is a fun time of year besides the holidays, Joe. I, I agree with you. I, I like this time to be able to look back at what's taken place over the past three months, sort of digest the regular season in college football before we begin to look ahead, obviously, to the second season. We have bowl games coming up. We have the playoffs coming up. But I think it's a really good time to reflect and sort of digest everything that we've watched over the past three months. And I know you get giddy at this time of the year because it it is the postseason awards, and I got a special show planned for us today. I didn't tell you, but we have our postseason awards, the Joe and Rich Postseason College Football Awards. I have a list of about 10 categories that that we're going to run down, give our thoughts, and give our opinions about players and teams of each conference. But Rich and I have a great show planned for you today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We're going to be joined by Big Ten analyst Jerry DiNardo. We'll get coaches' take about what transpired last week in Indianapolis between Wisconsin and Penn State. We'll also get his take about some of the Big Ten bowl matchups this coming bowl season. But Rich, we're just getting started. We do have a great game taking place today. A piece of Americana. It is Army Navy. It doesn't get better than this. I mean, this. This is what college football represents in terms of the pageantry, in terms of what school tradition is all about, and players in terms of amateurism, fighting hard each and every play to win the ball game. Yeah, I get asked this all the time. What's your favorite rivalry? You know, what's the rivalry that gets you jacked up the most? For me, it always has been, and I think it always will be, Army-Navy because it transcends football it transcends geography this is a game this afternoon joe as you know that's going to resonate well beyond our shores i mean there are going to be people that are you know troops that are stationed in the middle east uh in the far east in europe that are going to be paying attention to this game between army and navy and to your point about fighting hard on every play there's absolutely no chance that Every one of those players is not leaving it on the field. It's not as if they're playing for NFL. Let's save myself for the NFL draft. I have pre-combine coming up in a couple of months. This is all about football. It's all about pride. It's all about Army-Navy, and the intensity in this game is second to none. And when you look at the matchups, 118 total matchups that they have played. Navy leads the series 60-49-7, and and has won 14 straight. This is the 119th meeting. I mean, it doesn't get better than this. You look at Navy now 
with some key injuries. Quarterback Will Worth is out for this ball game. Got hurt in the AAC championship game. Can Navy put it together, so to speak, and still win their 15th straight over Army? We'll break this game down, but we're just getting started. This is what it's all about. We're live from Rockin' Riley's right here on 35th and 8th in the state-of-the-art studio here at the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Nothing better. I mean, this epitomizes a place to watch football in general, Rich. I mean, it doesn't get better than this. Screens everywhere. We have the see-through glass. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You could follow me on Twitter, at go for the 2 You could follow Rich on Twitter, at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Before we turn our attention to this Army-Navy game, Rich, some key coaching changes. One yesterday with Lane Kiffin not getting the Houston job. Former Texas quarterback Major Applewhite, who was the offensive coordinator, does in fact become the new head coach of the Houston Cougars, taking over for Tom Herman. A couple of other uh, coaching changes. Matt Rule moves on from Temple to Baylor. Very intriguing hire there. Former uh, USF head coach Willie Taggart now has moved on to become the Oregon head coach. And you call this one Purdue hiring Western Kentucky's Brom, uh, Jeff Brom, as the new head coach. Three solid hires. And there's rumblings now where we hear USF possibly in talks with Charlie Strong. Remember, he was the former defensive coordinator with the Florida Gators. He understands the landscape of Florida, a, a master recruiter. So we, I want to get your take about what you've heard in terms of the coaching changes, but more importantly, what you feel uh, these coaching changes have represented in the three hires that I mentioned. Yeah, I, I think what stands out for me, Joe, in terms of a common theme is youth, and offense, and that's what we've seen in terms of Major Applewhite, youth and offense, Jeff Brom, youth and offense, Willie Taggart, youth and offense, Matt Rule, not so much on the offensive side, but youth as well. So there are programs that are trying to change cultures, shift in a new direction. Uh, listen, I'm a big fan of Matt Rule, always have been. He's done a remarkable job at Temple. I do wonder about how well he will transition, a Northeast guy in the state of Texas. He's going to have to make up a lot of ground in terms of recruiting, getting to know the landscape, getting to know the high school coaches in that region. I'm sure he'll put together a staff that will reflect that desire to get to know Texas. But I love the Willie Taggart hire. I mean, this guy has been a winner every step of the way. Western Kentucky builds the program. South Florida turns around a program that was driven into a ditch by Skip Holtz, one of your favorite coaches. <laughs> you're, you're jumping on the train. That's, that's about time. Preach into the choir there when it comes to Skip Holtz. But Willie Tiger, listen, he's 40 years old. He has a magnetic personality. He's going to recruit the entire nation. He just kind of oozes positivity and a winning attitude. I think he's going to make a difference. And real quick, he inherits a roster that was extraordinarily young 
last year. Mark Helfrich used a slew of freshmen and sophomores, so I think he's got a shot to hit the ground running in 2017. I think all of those guys, all of those coaches are solid hires. Here's the thing mm-hmm. I, when I look at when I look at the rule uh, situation with Baylor and I look at Willie Taggart. Great head coaches. I just I wonder about the geography. Even though Willie Taggart, uh, you know, coached at Western Kentucky, he went to USF and, and really built up that program. And the one thing that he preaches is physicality on the offensive line. I mean, that's what he had at Western Kentucky. Kentucky with the Hilltoppers. He had the running back Bobby Rainey that's now with the Giants, but preached physicality on the offensive lines. Now he's going to Oregon, a different type of offensive scheme that they're not used to in Eugene for for the most part since Chip Kelly was there and now Mark Helfrich. And then the other one is Matt Rule. And now physicality on the offense and defensive lines, but he's going to the Big 12. And they want explosiveness because now he has to transform Baylor into Temple. And that's, from from a a personnel standpoint, for me, that's going to take a few years. It's not going to be an overnight transition. Because the one thing when you look at Baylor overall, they're a finesse team. They're a finesse team between the tackles. And that's the one thing that he doesn't preach physicality, offense, and defensive line. So how is that going to translate to the the fan base in Waco? Are they going to be patient to allow both of these coaches to build the program brick by brick? And are they going to uh, allow the growing pain, so to speak? I don't think so in Baylor. You know, Baylor under Art Bryles became accustomed to a level of success, Joe, that I think is sort of now coursing through the veins of fans of the Bears throughout Waco. I mean, they are passionate fans. They've grown used to winning. I don't know if patience is going to be in their vernacular. Now, to your point in terms of philosophical differences, does Rule possibly shift his philosophy? You know, he's not in the Northeast any longer. He's not going for players from New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Ohio and the state of New York. Now he has access to Texas talent. Does he possibly change that philosophy and shift more to a wide-open attack? That, I think, is something that's worth watching in the coming years. That's a great point. Again, that could be a recipe for disaster, though, because when you make your, uh, when you make your resume as a blue-collar head coach and you go to a landscape that, and a conference that doesn't preach blue-collar physicality, that's something that you got to keep an eye on. We'll catch this on the back end. We're just getting started. Stay with us. We'll take a quick break. When Rich and I come back, we'll talk the 119th meeting of Army-Navy. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. Back on the College Football Game Day show right here on the uh, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich, I've always said this to the people that know me. If I was 12-0 and 0 as a head coach and I was headed to the college football playoff, I would decline the invite and head straight to the rolling hills of Texas El Paso for the Sun Bowl. It's my favorite bowl game each and every year. Do you have a bowl game that stands out for you uh, when you look at this great slate of action? have always loved the pageantry of the Rose Bowl. I, I mean, Pasadena, to me, New Year's Day, that to me, late afternoon here on the East Coast, that to me has always had special meaning. When we get away from New Year's, 
There's something about the Holiday Bowl. You and I sort of grew up at the same time. I mean, Holiday Bowl, I remember Jim McMahon, BYU, uh, SMU, and Eric Dickerson and Craig James. There were so many great memories of the Holiday Bowl. That tends to be one of the more exciting pre-New Year's Bowl games. So those two out in California are the ones I really look forward to. It's been a while since we've seen a wild outcome in the Holiday Bowl. Last year it was uh, UCLA drop to uh, Nebraska in that matchup, but here's an intriguing bowl game, and I'm going to bring it up because we're going to get into it. We're not going to get into our predictions yet mm-hmm. uh, because it was college football award week. We've both been busy. I haven't really delved into predictions yet. I'll get them done on Monday, so for next week's show, we'll really get into the predictions, but we're going to preview and break down, give some analysis. We could talk about who we're leaning to early on, but sure. this one it really, and the way it felt in terms of the breakdown, Kansas State, Rich, going up against Texas A&M in, yeah. in, in Houston for the Texas yeah. Bowl. Now, I, I, I don't know. I thought about they, it when I, I saw the matchup. Yeah, they I had smirked, us in mind, didn't they? I smirked <laughs> when I saw this. I said, yeah. Sermonello and I are going to get after it in this ballgame. Now, I know Kansas State has won the state of Texas 4-0 and heading up into this matchup. Yeah. But quick thoughts before we go to break. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, I, it would be great radio if I said I loved K-State in this game, but I, but I don't. I don't. I really like Texas A&M. Me too. Here's my, here's my thought. They struggled in the second half of the season. They weren't healthy, obviously, after that Alabama game. They just sort of went off the table. But if you look at the talent of this team, with a month away from action, I think we're going to see more of that first half of the season, Texas A&M. And this is a defense that Jesse, uh, Jesse Ertz will not be enough. One-dimensional won't work against this defense. I, so I really like A&M. I agree with that early on. We'll take a quick break. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, live from Rockin' Riley's 35th and 8th, right here in the Big Apple Rich and I are going to break down the 119th meeting of Army and Navy. And when you think about it, Navy has won 14 straight games, but coming off a disappointing loss, 36-10 to in the uh, American Athletic Bowl to Temple. It's going to be a, uh, an uphill battle in this matchup because their quarterback, Will Worth, is out in this ballgame, Rich. Yeah, Zach Aby is going to be the backup. He showed flashes uh, in that game against Temple. Obviously runs the ball well. I I think you're going to lose something in the passing game compared to Will Worth. Will Worth for people who don't know, has really had a remarkable season. Tago Smith was slated to be the starter, the successor to Keenan Reynolds behind center. He was going to be the orchestrator of Ken Niamatololo's uh, uh, triple option in Annapolis. And then he went down in that Temple game with a foot injury. He's done for this game as well as the bowl game. So now Zach Aby moves into the into the picture, and he's going to go up against a very, very good linebacker core at Army. And, and, and Army, obviously has everything on the line. I mean, 14 in a row, you mentioned that. You have multiple classes, three straight classes of cadets that have not beaten Navy, so intensity might be at an all-time high level today in Baltimore. Now, Navy does have some other injuries. Darrell Bonner does have a head injury. He's downgraded to doubtful for this game. Craig Scott has an injury. He's questionable for this game. Uh, Romine, their scat back, is injured last game. Will he play so 
there's a lot of key injuries for Navy and Army. Yeah, Gully as well. Tomeo right. Gully as well. So yeah. now, now you look at Army, who's well rested. Their last game came yep. on November 19th against Morgan State, where they dominated that matchup. So you would have to say, from a scheme perspective, a game plan perspective, Army does have the inside track. The one thing that Navy does have is the momentum, because you can't argue they have found a way now in 14 straight years to pick up this victory. Yeah, and you wonder to what extent this is in Army's head. I mean, there's a psychology to to losing streaks. You're either really motivated and and you're going to give the absolute best performance of your life because you're going to be a part of that team that finally breaks the losing streak or you think to yourself this is never going to end we simply can't beat navy i don't know which side of the ledger army falls on but i know that this team passionately wants this victory not just for their brothers on the field but for their brothers across the planet this would be and i'm not under, i'm not overstating this joe <laughs> this would be the win of the season you would have no bigger victory for any team than if Army could beat Navy today. I couldn't agree more because the the stars are aligned for the cadets to pick up this matchup. I mean, it couldn't have fell any better for them to have the rest, to have the key injuries to Will Worth. And now Navy's probably looking at this like, we're the underdog heading into this matchup. I mean, numbers-wise, when you look at Army, both teams run heavy offense, but Army much more than Navy. They're rushing for 328 yards on the ground. They're only passing for 79 yards through the air. and But when I look at Army overall, they've picked up some gutty victories this year against blue-collar teams. They knocked off Temple week number one, 28-13. Later in the year in Salem, they knocked off Wake Forest 21-13. to And the one thing that I think will allow Army to be in this game from start to finish has to be their rush defense, only giving up 124 yep. yards on the ground this year. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, obviously, if you want to have a defensive strength going up against either Army or Navy, you want it to be in run defense. I like the linebackers. Andrew King in the middle, a kid from Queens, New York. And then Jeremy Timph, somebody that you and I met last year in Atlantic City. He was up for the Maxwell event uh, from Tucson, Arizona. Those two linebackers, Jeremy Timph and Andrew King really fill lanes quickly, get to the ball, wrap up in space. They'll be instrumental in trying to slow down A.B. and those backs. I mean, Zach A.B. right now is the big, he's the X factor. We we don't know what to expect. They're all prepared to run that triple option, so it's not an unfamiliar offense to him. But how about this for the first start of his career? Army-Navy, first time he's in the saddle as the Navy quarterback. It's incredible. And when you look at this matchup overall, when you really look at Army in terms of rushing production, they picked up 560 yards against Morgan State. I mean, it is Morgan State. But you look Mm -hmm. at the two games prior to that against solid teams in terms of Notre Dame. Even though Notre Dame was down this year, they're still Division I talent. Tops in in terms of better than Army has played schedule-wise. They rushed for 229 yards on the ground, and then against Air Force in that commander-in-chief game, trophy game, they only rushed for 144 yards on the ground. They're going to need a better effort today against their arch-rival. Otherwise, that's going to put a lot of pressure on their quarterback and put them in third down and long situations, and they're not a solid passing team, only averaging 79 yards through the air. So they can Navy can make Army one-dimensional. They have a chance in this ballgame. The other thing I look at 
when I break this game down, obviously it is on a neutral field site, but you look at turnover margin. Army has struggled in turnover margin this year. Uh, traditionally, they're minus three overall, but on the road this year, they're plus three. So that's a key statistic heading up into this matchup. You look at Navy. Overall plus one, but on the road or on a neutral field site heading into this ball game, it's minus two. So I think that the team that can create turnovers and really score first to put the pressure on the opposing quarterback to match them score for score will, will probably win this ball game. Yeah, I, I totally agree for this reason. It's going to be a pitcher's duel. I, I think this is going to be low scoring. Every possession counts. If you look at what Army has done throughout the season, when they've had explosive games offensively, Joe, it's been against UTEP, and it's been against two FCS teams, Lafayette, you mentioned Morgan State. That's when they've had their big explosions. But against FBS teams, I mean, they're scoring in the teens, the low 20s. I think they'll struggle offensively. So turnovers, uh, special teams, those hidden yards, uh, you know, uh, uh, special team score, block punt, uh, big returns, those will be big in this kind of a game because I think it could be 17-16, 19-17, that kind of a close game uh, down the stretch. And you look at Army overall, they started 3-0. and And when you never face the triple option early in the season, the triple option has a, a, an, an advantage in terms of game plan because it's a lot different in game speed than it is practice situations. So once teams got a read on Army in terms of game film and they face better and better defensive fronts. Now, Temple was a solid defensive front. I can't make any explanation why Matt Rule and yeah. uh, Jahad Thomas and P- Philip Walker came out flat week number one uh, against the Army Cadets because you had six months to prepare for that matchup mm-hmm. and to get dominated 28-13. to I mean, it, was, it wasn't even close for much of the game. They got a garbage touchdown at the end to make that game a lot closer. Army dictated that game uh, yeah. from the get-go. So, but as the season wore on, you saw teams get a read on the Cadets' offense and made them one-dimensional down the stretch, and they're really going to have to throw the kitchen sink at the midshipmen later today. Going to need a big day from Ahmad Bradshaw. He's going to have to pop off a few plays downfield. I think if he can get a couple of long balls in the passing game, that'll free things up for Andy Davidson, their 220-pound fullback. But I don't think it's going to be the offense. I think it's going to be a defensive-dominated game. Whichever defense could make stops, particularly on the ground, is going to walk away with a very important victory. Navy averaging 39 points per game and giving up 30 points in terms of scoring defense. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, break this game down. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from the Big Apple, Rockin' Riley's. Keep it where it is. Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about Kansas State and Texas A&M. I did say that last year's Holiday Bowl was UCLA and Nebraska. That was the Foster Farms Bowl. How could I forget that Wisconsin got the victory over USC in the Holiday Bowl? So it, it didn't come down, though, to a, a last-second field goal. They, they stuffed USC on the last drive, but that was a solid, solid Holiday Bowl, Rich. But again, we're used to fireworks in that matchup. And this year, you look at Minnesota and Washington State, contrasting styles could be a very yep. intriguing matchup. 
Yeah, I, I, I liked it. When I first looked at that, Joe, I saw I saw Luke Falk and his receivers, Mike Leach and that offensive style versus a Minnesota defense. You know, we, we talked a lot about uh, Mitch Leidner during the regular season. Rodney Smith had a good uh, good year, uh, year on the ground, over 1,000 yards. But that defense of Minnesota was really a big surprise for me. They did an excellent job throughout the Big Ten season of stuffing teams in the run, playing well against the pass. They'll put that defense, Big Ten D, up against the Washington State attack. I like that sort of matchup of different styles, so it could be an interesting game again this year. In the it Hollywood is, Bowl. because I never thought that Tracy Clays would have the success that he had this year, because if you watched him last year when he took over for Jerry Kill, I thought that he was outcoached in a lot of ball games. thought that he was a solid coordinator and not really that mm-hmm. solid of a head coach. Well, I have to take that back, because I was very impressed with the job that he has done this year in leading the team to an 8-4 and four overall record, but this defense was solid and dominant at times, especially in run support uh, against physical offensive lines. They only allowed 124 yards to opposing offenses, and they were positive in turnover margin, especially on the road, Rich, and that's what I look at. They were plus 8 in turnover margin, and they were positive on the road with a plus 2 margin on the road or on a neutral field side, and I think if they can get the ball rolling, with that offensive line and Rodney Smith, they could dictate the tempo and keep Luke Falk off the field. And Washington State will have a lot to prove, Joe. I know that Mike Leach is not happy with what, with the way the season ended. They look like they might have a shot at playing in the Pac-12 title game. Laid an egg against Washington, so they want to finish this season very strong uh, out in San Diego. And you look at Minnesota overall, they're going to need to run the football. And we're just getting started with our bowl coverage. They're averaging 30 points per game and allowing 22 points to opposing offenses. We're going to take a quick break. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lee. Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network, right here in the Big Apple. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, right here from Rockin' Riley's, the state-of-the-art studio, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. If you're a college football, football, or just a sport fan, come down and join us because I'm telling you, you'll love the atmosphere. We have a great buffet going right here in the restaurant. TV screens everywhere. This is the place to be. Rich and I were talking about the 119th meeting of Army-Navy. We left off talking about Navy averaging 39 points per game, allowing 30 points to opposing offenses. And when I look at Navy's defense, Rich, they're allowing 176 yards on the ground and 259 yards through the air. Army's going to have to find a way to attack that secondary, much the way Philip Walker did last week in the AAC championship game. Yeah, you know how this works with triple option offenses. We've seen it in the past. I I think about Georgia Tech, right, with Paul Johnson. They've had receivers on the outside, uh, you know, the the Calvin Johnson-type players that they're really good blockers in the system. But then they have those moments where they can get outside, catch a defense off guard, and and pop a big play. And that's what Ahmad Bradshaw is going to need to do. Edgar Poe is his big wide receiver on the outside. He's the guy that they count on maybe once or twice a game to catch a defense off guard. That's what Army is going to have to succeed at because you're right. The Navy defense has not offered much 
in the form of stops this season, particularly when the ball is in the air. And I think about the great talent on both teams throughout the years. I mean, two guys that stand out for me on each team. I grew up with Napoleon McCallum, uh, watching him play Notre Dame throughout the years. And one quarterback for me for Army back in the mid-90s, Ronnie Makeda. That was the guy for me when you say, when you root for Army. I love Ronnie Makeda. I mean, he's just a gutty, blue-collar quarterback. Had his moments against Notre Dame almost getting the upset victory in East Rutherford, but that's what epitomizes both of these programs. It's it's solid players that lay it on the line, not only on the football field, but for our sure. great country, and they've had their moments where they've upset the big boys. Yeah, some of the best interviews I've done over the past 10, 15 years has been Army and Navy football players, because it really allows you to delve into the X's and O's from a football perspective, but also what makes these young men tick. They're different breeds of student-athletes. Their schedules are different. Their dedication to football, to their academies, to their countries is different, and that's not a knock on any other player. But these Army and Navy players, Joe, they're cut from a different cloth. And to have an opportunity to talk to them, to interview them, really kind of gives you faith in the next generation of kids that we have behind us. It should be a very intriguing matchup. I'm telling you, the landscape in Philadelphia today will be second to none. I mean, it, it will be what college football is all, all about in terms of the purism. This is what we grew up with. This is why you watch amateur athletics and tune in. In at three o'clock later today, CBS. Rich, I, when I bring, and this is the one game I could care less if I'm right or wrong because I really, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I suggest don't play the predictions here because I just root for seeing a good game. I don't want to see a blowout. I want to see this game go down to the last possession. I want to see a back and forth affair. This is pure ar- amateurism at its best. I'm pulling for the cadets here. I, I think they yeah. have the stars in alignment. And I think they break this string today. Three, I say 24-17, Army gets the victory later today. I kind of agree, and, and I, I think deep down I'm rooting as well. I, I Just to, to see the, the celebration that would take place would be something that we haven't seen in college football in quite some time. And, and, you know, we kind of get into this mode of always talking, how does it impact the playoffs? How does it impact the conference uh, championship races? This has no impact on either of those things, and yet the meaning is far greater. I tend to agree with you. I, I think if Army is going to break through, now is the time to do it. They can seize that opportunity in Baltimore to get that big victory, snap that 14-game uh, losing streak. I think it happens. I think it's low scoring, and they pull it out. I think so, too, because of their defense. I think their defense is a lot um, more physical in terms of the trenches. I've seen it. I mean, to play that game in Salem against Wake Forest, I was very impressed. And I watched that ball game, and Wake Forest is no joke. They're bowl eligible and very physical in the offense and defensive lines with their head coach, Dave Clawson, and they they were able to dictate that game from start to finish and really shut down Wolford and Hinton in that ball game. So uh, I like Army here, and and, and more importantly, the, the the preparation, the two the two or three weeks. If any team is going to benefit from extra weeks of preparation, 
it is the cadets because of the how they work their work schedules. When you get that much of time, you're better prepared, and and these kids understand that. So for me, repetition and repetition will benefit the team with the longer layoff. Is there a chance for rust? I mean, because this is an unusually long layoff for a regular season game. Do you worry? that there has been too much time because November 19th to today, December 10th, that's not your usual two weeks off. Does that throw off your rhythm at all, Joe? Usually in the bowl season, and that's a great point. I'm glad that you brought that up. I always say keep in mind with that when the regular season ends Mm -hmm. till the bowl season, that can break uh, timing for quarterback-wide receiver relationships. That could break up the continuity of an offensive line, especially if there's cohesiveness in a running game. I will say this, though. When I look at both Army and Navy triple option attacks, I think this is a benefit. I don't think it's rust. I think they, these kids, this is the only system they know. So it, to get the, the read in terms of the film, the game film preparation, to watch Navy play last week against Temple live, and to see that, I think it will benefit Army. And, and, and when you talk about intensity, Rich, we talk about the Iron Bowl rivalries, Auburn, mm-hmm. Alabama. You could talk Texas, Texas A&M back in the day. I mean, Ohio State, Michigan. This Army-Navy game from an intensity level is just as big, if not greater, than all of those rivalries that we watched last weekend. I don't think there's any question about it. You begin every season. Your goal at the beginning of the season is to beat Army if you're in Annapolis. And if you're on the Hudson, it's to beat Navy. I mean, that is your singular goal every season. And I I think, with all due respect to the Army, Navies, and the Michigan, Ohio States, there's so much other noise. There's so many other goals, so many other games that have to be won. You're not thinking ahead to that chief rival. Army, Navy transcends every other rivalry, and I know it doesn't matter for what we'll talk about next weekend and the subsequent weekends when it comes to playoffs and bowl games. But this really matters on a different level. And I'm glad that college football allowed them to have their week, yeah. uh, meaning the front and center stage. These Good kids point. work hard each and every year on and off the classroom. They represent our great country, and they get front and center stage later today, 3 p.m. Rich and I both like Army to break the string 14 straight. They get it done later today in Philadelphia. Rich, it's the Heisman Trophy. It, it is Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield. D.D. Westbrook, Jabil Peppers, and Deshaun Watson all heading to New York. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's no doubt, uh, maybe. Now, the one thing I, I will say about the Heisman Trophy is if you looked at Las Vegas at the start of the year, there was a 100-to-1 shot on Lamar Jackson. They're rooting wow. hard that there is yeah. an upset because they stand to lose a lot of money later today if Lamar Jackson is named the Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah, think about it in the beginning of the season. And we'll go through it again in, in the offseason, Joe. This is what we do. But this was supposed to be the year of the running back, right? It was going to be, <laughs> right? you know, it was going to be Leonard Fournette. It was going to be Christian McCaffrey. It was going to be Dalvin Cook, right? Maybe Nick Chubb. It was the year of the running back. How many running backs in New York City tonight? Zippo. Zippo. You got it. You got no running backs. And Lamar Jackson, although we expected the breakout sophomore season, nobody, myself included, figured that he would have the September that he did, the season that he did, 51 total touchdowns. He really was a revelation. 
and he's only two years removed from high school. So have fun with him next year, ACC defensive coordinators, because he has to be back in 2017. Yeah, and it was the way he did it with those electronic arts Madden type of plays earlier in the year Mm -hmm. against Syracuse. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the top five Heisman candidates. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, right here from Rockin' Riley's Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. Back on College Football Game Day, right here from Rockin' Riley's Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about the Holiday Bowl, Minnesota, and Washington State. Rich, quick story. I was at the College Football Hall of Fame press conference earlier in the week on Tuesday. Went to the award ceremony. I invited you. You turned me down. I don't know what you were doing. You were walking the red carpet somewhere else. But quick, funny story. At the cocktail hour, I'm in there. There's Gus Miles on. Who comes walking? walking in rich do you have any idea who comes walking in uh mike allstott some kevin Purdue, david Sum- david blau kevin Sumlin. okay okay kevin wow. Sumlin walks right in okay he's there with trevor knight that won the danny warfel award uh this past tuesday at the college football hall of fame he walks right in i go coach i gotta talk to you he goes what i said i picked you guys to win the sec west this year right he goes, why'd you do that? Yeah, really? Right? He goes, we, we're not that good of a football team. I said, well, mm. I, I told him, I said, coach, you better attack that K-State secondary that's given up 259 passing yards per game. He looked at me like I was crazy and walked away. Yeah. But, yeah. but <laughs> I, I wanted that's to That's what I that. do most times. That's usually my reaction. <laughs> well, to guess you. who it's... else was there? Yeah. Bill Snyder. Oh, okay. So now, do you think there was a little, like, you know, eyeing each, everyone up to see, you know, for the big game coming up a, a little bit later on uh, December 28th, the Texas Bowl? I know Texas A&M is going to win this game. I'm holding back with my prediction. You know where yeah. I'm going. We talked about it, but that's a funny story. I did have the opportunity to chit-chat with Gus Malzahn, too, said he's looking forward to facing Oklahoma, and he thinks the defense will be ready for that matchup against the Sooners later t- uh, later in the year. But I just just wanted to bring up that point uh, yeah. that I saw someone. The one thing that's so difficult to gauge, so difficult to gauge, is motivation this time of year. I struggle so badly with bowl picks because it's hard to get into the collective heads of these kids that are playing in games. I, I mean, I, I tend to lean towards the teams that are young because they're going to be back next year. They still have the motivation. But for senior-laden teams, I always wonder, are they really that geeked up to be at this bowl game? I think some are. I think if you have a younger team, and that's when you really break these games down, you really have to take into account who's Mm -hmm. the coach, who's the talent on both teams. Are they looking forward to the NFL? And we're going to come back. We're going to start talking about more bowl games. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from the Big Apple, state-of-the-art, Rockin' Riley studio, coming right back at you. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day right here from Rockin' Riley's studio on 35th and 8th Fantasy Sports Radio Network when Rich and I left off talking Heisman Trophy, talking Lamar Jackson, and we have to talk about the other four candidates here, Deshaun Watson, uh, Jabril Peppers, D.D. Westbrook, and Baker Mayfield, Rich. But when you look at all of these players, all of them, from top to bottom, the only one for me that really had that Heisman moment 
was Lamar Jackson, and it came against Florida State where he rushed for seven touchdowns on the ground and added two more through the air. I mean, outside of that, I haven't seen a Heisman moment from the other players on the on the roster there. It's been an odd season for the Heisman, hasn't it, Joe? Yeah, unbelievable, Rich. It really uh, has. Yeah, compilers, compilers. I, I have. Yeah, exactly. And and the guy who's likely to win, uh, still the heavy favorite in Lamar Jackson, yeah, struggled down the stretch. I mean, usually when you have a Heisman winner, he's peaking in November into early December. He's having that Heisman moment when those 900 Heisman voters are really paying attention. And Jackson, who started so fast, and I think it's important to look at the totality of the body of work for 2016 for the evaluation process, he was struggling down the stretch with turnovers, with back-to-back Louisville losses, and I can't find anyone else with a Heisman uh, moment. I agree with you. Deshaun Watson played pretty well down the stretch, but I thought he... I kind of had a mediocre season. I like Baker Mayfield. I'd like to see him uh, finish with a silver medal tonight. I think he's worthy of that. But, you know, Baker Mayfield loaded up on a lot of bad Big 12 defenses and got a ton of help from his backs and D.D. Westbrook. So I don't see the guy that really stands out. And maybe, maybe this was the year that we should have been looking for someone outside of the traditional quarterback running back, somebody like Jonathan Allen on Alabama. Well, I have somebody else in mind that I will bring up in our awards ceremony that I'm going to start mm-hmm. a little bit later in the show, but when you look at uh, Lamar Jackson number-wise, 3,390 passing yards, he completed 57% of his passes, 30 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. He added 1,538 yards on the ground, 6.5 yards per carry, 21 rushing touchdowns, but it was against Florida State and Clemson that he really stepped up against a better competition in the ACC and I said he rushed for 314 against Florida State, seven touchdowns. He only threw for one touchdown uh, against the Seminoles but it didn't matter. He accounted for eight total touchdowns, passed for 216 through the air and then you look at what he did against Clemson's top ranked defense. He stepped up. 273 passing yards, three touchdowns. I mean, uh, unbelievable. 273 rushing yards Excuse me. Three rushing touchdowns, 295 through the air, and one passing touchdown. I mean, to me, that's the difference. He had that Heisman moment. You want to talk about Jabril Peppers. Jabril Peppers dominating uh, season so far, 71 total tackles, three and a half sacks. 14.7 yards per carry uh, uh, punt return, 26 yards a return and kickoffs, but he only had one game where he had double-digit tackles. And it wasn't against Ohio State, and it wasn't Mm -hmm. against Iowa, and it wasn't against the better teams on his schedule. So where is Jabril Peppers' Heisman moment like Woodson had in the 97 season? He didn't have it. Yeah, listen, I don't want to dog Jabril Peppers. No, he's one of my favorites. He's he's Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I've been accused of dogging him throughout the season. I I want people to listen carefully. He's a phenomenal all-around athlete. He's going to make a great pro next year. He's going to make a great pro for a lot of years. He's a special kid. But simply from a Heisman perspective... There was too much hype involved with his candidacy. I I don't think he belongs in the top five. A lot of the reason why he's there tonight is because Jim Harbaugh was pushing. He had those wildcat touches. Those wildcat touches didn't, they weren't game changing. 
right? I, I mean, the big game he had against Rutgers was a 78 to nothing finale. He was not a game changer. He did not alter the season of Michigan with his special team and his offensive play. And I say that as someone who was born in East Orange, New Jersey, much like Jabril Peppers. So I have a lot of reasons to be a champion in this kid. And I love Jabril Peppers. He went to Paramus Catholic. I went to Don Bosco in Bergen County. I That's my mm-hmm. landscape. So I always yep. said Jabril Peppers, top five talent. If I was a G I would take him first overall because of his ability to change a game and run support, his ability to change blocking schemes because of his athleticism, because of his ability to rush off the edge and be that dominant defensive player. But again, when you look at the apples to apples here, when Charles Woodson won the award uh, back in the day, he had a game-changing play against Ohio State. He stepped up against the the better teams on on their schedule. They were co-national champions champions with Nebraska. So again, I mean, you can't take away from what he did that season to win the award. When you're a defensive player, you need to be head and shoulders above the rest, either statistically, your team needs to be undefeated. You need to dominate games each and every week against the top 10 teams on your schedule. And he did not do that. Yep. Yeah. Listen, if, if Clay Helton opted to give a couple of wildcat touches to a Dory Jackson during the season. You know, set him up at the goal line, four yards out with his speed and athleticism. He's going to go around the edge. He's going to score a touchdown. If there were a couple of plays like that, we might have been talking about a Dory Jackson True. who won the Thorpe Award Thursday night. So he's an elite corner, had plays on special teams, touchdowns on special teams, touchdowns on offense. So if we simply gave him a couple of touches, some highlight reel touches, we might have been talking about a Dory Jackson in the city. Agreed. Tonight. I think second overall, though, today, in my opinion, is Deshaun. Watson. He completed yes. 67% of his passes, 3,914 yards, 37 touchdowns, 15 INTs. Rushing down from last year, last year he was up at 11.05 and he had 12 rushing touchdowns. This year, 5.29, six touchdowns, averaging 4.1 yards per carry. We'll come back, we'll talk this, pick this up at the break. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich, here's a bowl game that I'm really looking forward to. It's Arkansas and Virginia Tech. I really want to see the contrasting styles. Arkansas's heavy offensive line going up against Gerard Evans and those offensive weapons should be a very intriguing battle a little bit later in the month. Yeah, you know, we talked about motivation, Joe. I, I, I think we have to, you know, we have to tap into our inner Dr. Freud at this time of year, particularly when it comes to bowl games. Virginia Tech is one of those teams that's trending in the right direction heading into next season. You have a young coach who's still going to be motivated. First time he's leading uh, Virginia Tech to a postseason and Justin Fuente. You have a Gerard Evans who's coming back next season. Isaiah Ford on the outside. A lot of sophomores, Tremaine Edmonds, the linebacker, a lot of sophomores and juniors who expect to be back in Blacksburg. So Virginia Tech is the kind of team that this is the way I look at it. See if this makes sense to you. Is it the end of the 2016 season 
or is it the beginning of 2017? If it's the beginning of 2017, you have a team that's going to be properly motivated for the bowl game. I think that applies to the Hokies. I, that's a great point because a lot of coaches love the extra weeks of preparation to get these mm-hmm. younger players involved in the offense, freshmen, sophomores that haven't had a lot of game experience. You'll see them be worked into the lineup, especially in these bowl games, especially when you have seniors at a lot of positions. You'll see split time where a lot of the younger players will get involved in a key situation because some of these games do not have implications on their head coaches. But a key Mm -hmm. characteristic that I do want to bring up is how important is this game for Brett Bielma and his job security heading into 2017? Because this is a disappointing year for the Razorbacks. I think anytime you're you're an SEC coach, unless we're talking about Vanderbilt, Kentucky, uh, you know, very select schools. If you're seven and five, I think you're always looking over your shoulder. That's just the nature of the SEC. It's the nature of the SEC West. Certainly Arkansas falls into that picture. Now, you have a lot of players who are going to be back next year. Austin Allen had a terrific junior season. He'll be back next year. Raleigh Williams out of the backfield, over 1,000 yards as a sophomore. So Arkansas is one of those teams that could be peaking heading into 2017. To your point, I think it's a huge game for Brett Bielema. He has to use this as a launching pad to next year. And they're going to have to worry about their defense because Arkansas in 2016 averaged 30 points per game on offense, and they gave up 30 points per game to opposing offenses. We'll take a quick break. We'll keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. Stay with us. This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He hits the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown! Ole Miss! This is college football game day. Peppers is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the three. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on college football game day right here from the Fantasy Sports Radio. Radio Network, Rockin' Riley's. We're waiting for Big Ten analyst Coach Jerry DiNardo to get on the line. We'll get Coach's take about the Big Ten bowl games and what transpired in Indianapolis last week between Wisconsin and Penn State. But we'll keep our Heisman discussion, Rich. When you look at Deshaun Watson overall, I mean, the one big thing when you look at his game from 2015 through this year was the rushing offense. There, there, His ability to put pressure on opposing defenses. But I think when you look at this matchup against Ohio State, they're going to need Deshaun Watson. Watson's legs to put the pressure on the Buckeyes defense and keep them off balance. So I think this extra week weeks of preparation will benefit the Clemson Tigers in terms of getting their rushing offense back on track. Yeah, I think they've needed that all year. Wayne Gallman has been hit or miss. You mentioned Deshaun has been not as uh, prolific on the ground as he was last year. And listen, what a great matchup between Clemson's wide receivers, that passing game of Clemson, Mike Williams, Deion Kane, Jordan Legg at the tight end, versus those great Ohio State defensive backs, those young kids like Malik Hooker, Marshawn Lattimore as sophomores have borderline, in the case of Malik Hooker, an All-American all season. So that sets up as a great matchup. You'll have a better shot of running the ball, I think, on Ohio State than you will uh, uh, throwing against them. We'll hold off on that game. We'll talk about the Big Ten. We have him on the line. He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in current Big Ten analyst, former LSU and Indiana head coach, Jerry DiNardo. Coach, how are you today? 
I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? Hanging in there, getting ready for bowl season. Before we talk about the Big Ten Bowls on tap this upcoming December and January, I want to get your thoughts about what you witnessed in Indianapolis last week between Wisconsin and Penn State. I mean, James Franklin and the crew really turning it around and really have momentum heading into this bowl game against USC. Extraordinary turnaround at halftime, uh, second half. You know, Joe, I think that drive at the end of the first half where Penn State cut it, um, uh, what cut it by two scores, I don't know if it was 24-14, 28-14, I guess. You know, I, the way they threw the ball at the end of that first half, they didn't have all that much time. I think that was the halftime adjustment. I think they went into halftime and said, you know, I don't think this was just a two-minute throw. I think we could move the ball in the air. And sure enough, Joe Moorhead, offensive coordinator, that's how we called the second half. It was, it was extraordinary. Coach, Rich Sermonello, uh, I kind of looked at that Big Ten championship game as almost a, a metaphor or a microcosm of the entire season. Penn State, we didn't expect much after the first month. And then look at what they do over the final eight games. How much credit does James Franklin get for turning around that team when it looked like they might struggle this season? Yeah, I, I mean, all the credit in the world. I mean, he's been named Coach of the Year. I, you know, I think there were some real critical decisions made during the season, during the off season. You know, during the off season, uh, James makes some changes. You know, both on offense and defensive staff. Brett Pry takes over the defense from internally. Joe Moorhead comes from externally, and I think that shows a lot about James Franklin. The answer is not always inside. The answer is not always outside. I think it showed great maturity as. Uh, a head coach. They obviously changed what the offense was going to look like, went to the spread. And then I think Sandy Barber giving James the vote of confidence, the dreaded vote of confidence, right? When when was the last time somebody went from a vote of confidence to the coach of the year? But you know what? She did the right thing. The coaches worked under better circumstances once she gave them the vote of confidence. The players knew this is our coach. So let's stick with the plan. So I think he deserves all the credit in the world. But I think there was a lot of good decisions that led to that. I agree with that, Coach. And when you look at James Franklin and his tenure at Vanderbilt, his teams always fought hard. He had back-to-back nine and four seasons with the Commodores, especially in big games, bowl games. His teams were always prepared. I think the one thing when I look at when I look at Penn State's success this season compared to the last two years was the quarterback play of, of Trace McSorley, a mobile quarterback, more in the mold of Jordan Rogers, what uh, uh, James Franklin had in Vanderbilt. And they got away from the prototypical quarterback in Christian Hackenberg because of the lack of continuity of the offensive line. Want to get your thoughts about that? Well, you know, that was the big question going in because I kept saying, remember Brady Hoke takes over Michigan. Denard Robinson's his quarterback. He's not a spread coach. He's a pro coach. He runs the spread, and then they make a transition with Al Borges and later Doug Nussmeyer to the pro formation, and that's part of the reasons Brady is no longer at Michigan. It took too long for the transition. So when James goes opposite, he goes pro formation to spread, I'm saying let's hope this doesn't take as long as it took Brady because that's not going to be good for James. And sure enough, again, Joe Moorhead, Matt Linegrove, a new offensive line coach who came from Minnesota, and the players are most important, Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley, plus the spread option, which is what Penn State runs, 
when you option, when you have an option attack, you gain a blocker because by virtue of optioning, you're not blocking someone. It helps an offensive line that was in the middle of developing. Coach, let's talk bowls real quick. Uh, you took three straight LSU teams to the postseason. I'm always fascinated from a coach's perspective. The challenges of two things. Number one, the unusually long break between the end of the regular season and the start of the postseason. And then also getting kids back up for what is an unusual type of a game. Could you talk from a coach's mindset what the challenges that these 80 head coaches are going to deal with? Yeah, they're going to deal with different challenges. First thing you have to say is what is at stake? Did we win seven, eight games and we're going to go to a bowl and get rewarded? Are we playing for the national championship? If we're playing for the national championship, this might not be fun. This might not, this is not going to be a reward. The reward is the championship ring. This is another month of business. So let's forget about fun. Let's play for the national champion championship because millions of people have played college football. Very few ever have a championship ring. So that's one plan. If, if, those three bowl games that we won at LSU, we, it was a reward. Uh, I wanted the game plan done before we left campus. I didn't have any curfew until two nights before the bowl game. I let the players have fun. I never scrimmaged the guys that were playing. The guys that weren't going to play, the young guys, we scrimmaged them. We worked them hard. We had fun, and we won the bowl games. In fact, a quick funny story. I know we're up against the gun. We were playing Michigan State uh, when Nick was at Michigan State, and uh, it was like three nights before the game, and my guys are out having some fun, and they run into the Michigan State guys. And right around midnight, the Michigan State guys start getting up, and my guys, especially Alan Fanick, the great NFL offensive lineman, he says to the Michigan State guys, where are you guys going? And the State guy said, well, Saban's got a curfew. we got to get back by midnight. And Fanick says, no, I don't have a curfew. Stick around, <laughs> stick around. So anyway, I'm on, I'm on the bus a couple of days later in the front of the bus. I open up the paper, and it says two Michigan State players suspended for the first half. I hear a bunch of laughter behind me. I turn around. I say, Fanica, what's so funny? He says, Coach, i got to tell you a story. He came up, and he told me that story, and I never laughed so hard in all my life. Oh, anyway, uh, so, you know, I think, I think it first depends on what's at stake for the game, and then you make your plan. Coach, that's great. Uh, before we let you go, I just want to get your thoughts. I mean, I feel that the committee got it right, Ohio State over Penn State and Wisconsin, obviously. But I want to get your thoughts if you agree with uh, Ohio State getting into the playoff, even though Penn State won the conference championship. I, they got it right on two levels for me, Joe. Let's talk about the Big Ten. Ohio State was the better team at the end of the year. I know Penn State beat them, but... You know, Virginia Tech beat Ohio State one year, and they won a national championship. But more important to me than that, because I think that I, I, I think that's clear. I'm so happy that Penn State wound up ahead of Michigan in the rankings, which meant that they considered Washington versus Penn State, not Washington versus Michigan. As far as the, all four of them, I think they got all four right. Coach. Great insight. We know you're, you're busy. We'll let you go. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Great fun. Appreciate it. That was former LSU, Vanderbilt, and Indiana head coach Jerry DiNardo, current Big Ten analyst. Uh, great insight from Coach DiNardo. He had some great talent in Baton Rouge. Herb Tyler, Kevin Falk. I mean, the list goes, Rondell Mealy, the list goes on and on with those guys, Rich. Great insight from him. Yeah, I, I listen, I love the insight of coaches that can 
go the broadcasting route and really entertain and educate us. Someone like a Dave Wanstead, Jerry DiNardo has done that for years on the Big Ten Network. We're going to take a quick break. When Rich and I come back, we'll be talking about the rest of the bowl games and the Heisman Trophy. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about Arkansas and Vatek. Very intriguing bowl matchup. A little bit later in the month, we talked about Arkansas's offense led by Austin Allen. Rich, their defense really is the, is the problem issue for this team, especially in the secondary. And you're talking about a team in Virginia Tech that's going to challenge that Arkansas Razorback secondary over the top with offensive weapons that you mentioned. So Brett Bielma better use this time off to come up with a good defensive game plan. It will not be easy because, you know, Brett Bielema has time. Justin Fuente has time. And he's going to use that time wisely to continue coaching up Gerard Evans, who I think will have a very good uh, senior season next year. He's got terrific weapons and Isaiah Ford, Cam Phillips on the outside. I know you like Bucky Hodges, the tight end. And you should. Yeah, terrific big, long athlete. So he has weapons. The offensive line has gradually gelled throughout the season. So Bielema will have time. I think Justin Fuente could actually make better use of his time preparing for this bowl game. And we just heard from Jerry DiNardo, so you understand what goes on in coaches' mindsets. And he said that mm-hmm. the experience of the team, and I think that this is big too, uh, are kids moving on to the NFL? Do they? You saw it last sure. year with Florida and Michigan. A, a ton of Florida talent moving on to the NFL. NFL. Vernon Hargreaves was one of those players that didn't step up against the Wolverines. Mm-hmm. Jim Harbaugh had that team focused and ready, and they dominated from start to finish. So I think you have to keep an eye out which kids commit to the NFL draft early before the bowl game, because if they're playing in this bowl game, where is their mindset? Because they don't want to get hurt to cost them thousands mm-hmm. of dollars and, and millions at some point. Yeah, I, I listen. I think it's human nature. I, I, I think people are going to knock kids and say, you know, you got to be there for your teammates. I understand and I agree with that. But it is human nature. They have worked their entire life to now be on the precipice of an NFL career. We've seen the Willis McGahee type injuries, those career changing injuries that kids can suffer late in the season. I understand the trepidation. It's one bowl game. It's borderline meaningless if you're an eight and four, seven and five, six and six, God forbid five and seven team. Do you want to risk where you're drafted? and how it impacts your pre-draft process. So I do understand that mindset. Great matchup here that brings back the days of old, especially when Wyoming had a grass field in Laramie. BYU and Wyoming. I'm really intrigued to see this matchup because Craig Bowl has done a great job. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll break this game down. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day right here from Rock and Riley's Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about Deshaun Watson and the rest of the Heisman hopefuls. Later today, Heisman Trophy will be presented. 
Rich, I mean, when we look at these players overall, and we've talked about Peppers not having the Heisman moment, Lamar Jackson, out of all these candidates, does, according to me, have the Heisman moment above each and every one of these players. Baker Mayfield, you look at the two games that he has played this year against top 25 competition, has not stepped up and dominated. And that's what you look for when you look at dominating competition to get that Heisman Trophy. I mean, eight touchdowns against Florida State, you can't argue with that. And they dominated the game from start to finish, 63-20. to That's why I feel Lamar Jackson should win the Heisman. I mean, you look at Baker Mayfield overall, 3,669 yards. Yes, he completed 71% of his passes. 38 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. But again, against Ohio State, 2 touchdowns, 2 interceptions, only 226 yards. They got blown out in Norman. Against uh, Houston, he stepped up 24 of 33, 323, 2 touchdowns, no INTs. But they lost that matchup by double digits to the Cougars. So how can you even argue that Baker Mayfield is deserving of a Heisman Trophy? I look at three things when I evaluate any award, but particularly the Heisman Trophy. Number one, does he have the stats? No one has better numbers than Lamar Jackson. Number two, is he buzzy? Is he trendy? Does he sort of take over the game? Is he the face of college football? I don't think anyone was more the face of college football in terms of players. I would say Jim Harbaugh, from a coach perspective, would fit that category in 2016. But Lamar Jackson really rose to being the most identifiable, the buzziest of college football players in 2016. The third measure for me, Joe, is does he elevate the player's around him and the team that he plays for. Jackson did for the majority of the season. I mean, obviously, up until those last couple of losses, we were talking about Louisville as a potential playoff team. Now, the fact that they lost those last two games sort of cracked open the door just a little bit. I don't think either Mayfield or Watson breaks through, but with those two losses and the turnovers that he had against Houston and Kentucky... It made it slightly more interesting, but I do think it's been anticlimactic now for the past couple of months. Well, I think if, if for me, if Deshaun Watson didn't lose to Pittsburgh, he would, I, I would vote for him as number one of the Heisman. But again, you look at the better competition. He's had those Heisman moments. The problem that he, he's gotten those victories and made the players around him better. The one thing is, you look at, against Louisville, five touchdown passes, three interceptions. Against Florida State, two touchdowns. Two interceptions against Pittsburgh. Three touchdowns, three interceptions. Yes, he did throw for 580 yards, but his interception cost his team the ball game. Against Virginia Tech, 288 passing yards, three touchdowns, one INT. So in every big game this year, Deshaun Watson has turned the football over. So that's the only reason why I can't hand him the Heisman. If you're asking me who's the more complete player from start to finish, who made those around him better, who was the quarterback that faced adversity, bounced back, and what, what, what guy would I want under center out of the two? I would want Deshaun Watson, but that's me. I'm partial. I think he's a better all-around quarterback. I think he's battle-tested. And like I said earlier this year on the show, I think that the total offense revolves solely around Lamar Jackson, and that's what we saw, Rich, at the end of the year when teams force Lamar Jackson into becoming one-dimensional, taking away the rushing attack, or forcing him to throw over the top. 
he made mistakes and and it cost and, his team ball games. And I think that will come. Uh, that consistency in the passing game will come. I think that's the scary part for opponents of Louisville is that in 2017, I believe we'll see a more complete product. The uh, the explosive athlete, but also someone who could stand in the pocket, make his reads, not get flustered and get flushed quicker than he should. So Bobby Petrino will work on that for next season, but this is still a very young kid, which is why it's such a surprise that he's on the brink of winning the Heisman is he's just two years removed from high school and he's only going to get better in the second half of his college career if he's actually there for four years. Agreed. I think Lamar Jackson has huge upside. I'm not taking away from his athletic ability. And you look at last year when they threw him into the mix, they had Kyle Boland, they had Reggie Bonifant there. That offensive line was not solid behind him. I mean, they had, they allowed 44 sacks as an offensive unit. Half of those sacks were due to Lamar Jackson's inconsistency in his reads and progressions in the passing attack. So he's a much more complete quarterback, but he's only a sophomore. So I agree with you, but he still has had that Heisman moment game the eight touchdowns. He's also had that Heisman moment play jumping over a Syracuse defender that we've seen a thousand times on ESPN. They wanted Mm -hmm. to put him on Madden. I mean, that's how great it was. So he has all those characteristics to take home the hardware. So again, I agree. I think that for me, Deshaun Watson is the better complete quarterback, but Lamar Jackson will hoist the trophy later today. No offense to D.D. Westbrook. 74 receptions, 1,465 yards, 16 receiving touchdowns. But you look at his statistics against Houston and against Ohio State this year. Against Ohio State, five receptions, 51 yards, no touchdowns. Against Houston, eight receptions, 70 yards, no touchdowns. He only had one game with double-digit catches, came against Texas, 10 receptions, 232, and three touchdowns. For me, for a wide receiver, where's his Heisman moment? It didn't didn't come from top 10 competition because, as we know, Texas's defense was atrocious this year. Hey, listen, a fantastic year, taking nothing away from D.D. Westbrook, but... You know, having that kind of a season against Big 12 secondaries is not really that rare. I, I would have chosen other guys to be that fifth person in New York City. I mean, how about somebody like Deontay Foreman, also against Big 12 defenses, admittedly, but a 2,000-yard season and you're not even a Heisman finalist is a bit shocking. I don't care that his team was 5-7. and seven. He can't help the fact that his defense was atrocious. I, I think someone like Deontay Foreman, even possibly Jake Browning, I know he had the two bad games against Colorado and USC, the two toughest opponents on the schedule, but I would have taken both of those kids over D.D. Westbrook in terms of top five. Can you hear it, Rich? Jingle, jingle, ho, ho, ho. There it is. Pete Contadori giving us the jingle, jingle. It is the Joe and Rich postseason year awards. I made this up, Rich. I think it's going to be great because we're going to buck heads on who our best players are, the most intriguing teams. Are you ready? Let's go right from it. 2016 best quarterback, Rich Sermonello. Uh, Best quarterback, uh, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. I'm going with Deshaun Watson 
best running back I have, in my opinion. These are our awards. We can go and we can That's get easy. Into running it. back is easy. I have yeah, mine. Donnell Pumphrey from San Diego uh, State. Oh, no, come on. He plays Mountain West competition. Give me a break. It's Dalvin Cook. No, no way. This isn't best Hands NFL down. talent. Best no, wide, no, no. Ready? Best wide receiver, John Ross. Uh, I'll take Corey Davis. Okay. Under the radar player, I'm going with my guy. You ready? Kareem Hunt from Toledo. Under the radar player, uh, Javon Rollins-Jones, Arkansas State. Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. We're coming back. We're postseason awards. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. Back on College Football Game Day right here from Rock and Riley's. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about the Poinsettia Bowl. Rich, this game screams Lavelle Edwards, screams Robbie Bosco and Fai Sikahema. I mean, this is what it's all about. Marcus Harris back in the day for the Cowboys, mm. BYU in Wyoming. I have a feeling this will be the Holiday Bowl, even though it, it is the Poinsettia Bowl. It does take place in San Diego. Yeah, a lot of X's getting together in the uh, postseason. With conference realignment, we have a lot of schools that haven't seen each other in a while uh, squaring off BYU uh, against Wyoming. Obviously, they have a long history together. I like both of these programs. Craig Bold did an outstanding job. Josh Allen, their young quarterback, fantastic, both as a passer and a runner. Uh, Brian Hill, uh, the running back from Wyoming, is someone to watch. But BYU very quietly got to 8-4. and four. Kalani Sataki, difficult job replacing Bronco Mendenhall. First season as a head coach. I thought he overachieved. I think they've done a really nice job. They won't have Taysom Hill, so you'll get a look at Tanner Mangum, who played a lot last season, will play a lot next season as well. So this is our first chance to get a good look again at Tanner Mangum uh, heading into next year. Yeah, and it's a contrast in styles because Taysom Hill does bring the dual threat ability off the edge with the read option. Tanner Mangum, a, a real prototypical drop-back mm-hmm. passer that set freshman records for BYU. You look at BYU overall, they're averaging 30 points per game, but it's their defensive front seven over the last few years that's so solid, especially in run support. They're only allowing 19 points per game, but it's the physicality. We saw it in East Lansing where they wore down Michigan State this year. I mean, that's what I love about BYU overall. It's that they're blue-collar physicality. I mean, they're only giving up 108 yards on the ground this year. That defense is always good. If they can get back to that sort of some of the quarterbacks that you mentioned, if they can get back to those gunslinging, prolific, high-powered passing offenses combined with the blue-collar defense, I think you have a team that can win 10-11 games in the future. I mean, the one thing about BYU that they've struggled with, they're so solid in run support, they're so solid in running sideline to sideline, you have to beat them throwing over the top. And I think when you look at this matchup overall, can Wyoming take advantage of BYU secondary? We'll see. Will be whether Wyoming picks up the victory or not, because BYU is allowing 255 passing yards per game to opposing offenses. 
We'll come back. We'll break this game down. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Rock and Riley's. Keep it where it is. Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back from break right here at Rock and Riley's Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When Rich and I left off, we're talking about our postseason awards. I see Santa coming. Now, Rich, okay, you like that, right? You sounds like, like a de- sounds like a deli delivery uh, <laughs> that you just tap the I just bell there. the pastrami Jesus. and rye coming. We, the budget now, is I just wanna, not very big for props. I, I want to get into the, the, the selections, and I'll tell you why. Because best quarterback yeah. for me, Deshaun Watson, there was a reason why I feel Deshaun Watson deserved the award. It, it's not just numbers. It's who, at the end of the year, was the best overall quarterback. It's not who translates to the NFL, who is mm-hmm. the quarterback to put up the uh, compile the best numbers. For me, it, it, Deshaun Watson overcame adversity. Clemson got better as the year progressed. He didn't run as much much as he did he had to do it from the pocket a lot of interchangeable parts I really think he stepped up and with the bullseye on his back to me I really feel Deshaun Watson was the best quarterback in college football from start of the season to the end we should all have as much adversity as Deshaun Watson I mean come on he he has the best wide receivers arguably the best wide receivers in the country he's got a proven running back behind him in Wayne Gallman. He's got an outstanding offensive line protected on his blind side by Mitch Hyatt. I don't know how much adversity that is. Fact is, even even Deshaun Watson, Joe, said it early in the season. He apologized to his fans because he hadn't been playing as well as he did in 2015. I mean, this was not the same player. Good season, good leader, not even sure if he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. Not, not that that's what we're evaluating at this point. I just think Baker Mayfield was more transcendent. I, I think that was true adversity his team was off to a bad start one and two tough loss to ohio state he helped rally the troops sweep the rest of the schedule and win the big 12 that to me is the best quarterback in the country Yeah, but it was against mediocre competition you can't take away that deshaun Watson. kansas state is not mediocre competition joe Uh, i tried to explain that to you during the year but wait a minute the two big games that they played ohio state and houston they lost right I mean, whether he played well or not, they still, as the quarterback and the Mm -hmm. leader of your team, you did not lead your team to victory. I mean, that's how we judge quarterbacks on the NFL. Why don't we judge it on the collegiate level the same way? We do. Sean Watson, in big ball games, got it done down the stretch. You want to talk about Lamar Jackson, didn't get it done down the stretch. And that's the one thing. You're talking about a team that went to the national championship last year, lost to Alabama by five points, had the bullseye on their back from the start of the year to the end, was, was picked as a team to get back to the playoff, had a hiccup against Pittsburgh, but rallied and still got better from that point on to where now they're hitting on all cylinders, and he elevated his game from that point. So I don't, I, I understand he had bad performances at the start of the year, but again, against Louisville, five touchdowns, yeah, three interceptions, but they got the victory. He made enough plays for them to pull out that victory. And against Joe, I have- Florida State, too, on the, on the road, though, Rich. You're filibustering now. Um, I, I have <laughs> two lobbying. words for you. Uh, you're lobbying and, and filibustering. Uh, Kyle Bambard is the two words I have for you. Because if the young kicker from NC State simply connects on a give-me-field goal, 
then we're talking about a two-loss Clemson team. So I don't know if Deshaun really elevated the Tigers this season. This really should be a two-loss team. He's not. The, he regressed as a junior. He regressed as a junior. That's why I can't say that he was the best quarterback of 2000. I think they d- asked different things of him this year. I told you that at the, at the start of the year. I don't think the play calling was the same in terms of allowing him to put pressure on the edge of opposing defensive front sevens. So that's why I think that he really stepped up, became more of a pocket passer. And you look at Clemson's offense as a whole last year, more balance. I mean, last year in 11 of the 15 games, they rushed for over 200 yards per game. You look at the entering the ACC championship game, they only had five games where they rushed for over 200 yards. Last year, they rushed uh, the pass for 291 yards through the air. This year, they're averaging 336. So they're asking more of him in terms of the pocket passing game that they didn't last year. So I, I, that's where I look at the difference between Deshaun Watson. Now, Danelle Pumphrey for me, you could say Mountain West competition, but he still rushed for 2,018 yards, 6.1 yards per carry, 16 touchdowns. He broke Marshall Falk's record for total career touchdowns and rushing yards at San Diego State. He is the reason why San Diego State has won the Mountain West Conference Championship. How could you take away from his performance but then want Dante Foreman on a mediocre team in Texas get asked, an under 500 team, to get asked to the Heisman Trophy? It's not even close, in my opinion. Number one, he plays in a more difficult conference. You could say what you want about the Big 12. Far better, far superior talent than the Mountain West, number one. Number two, Dante Foreman has more yards this season than Donnell Pumphrey it's not in about two, yards, two fewer games. Two fewer games. There's no comparison. You can't tell me facing UNLVs and the Air Forces and... Even the Wyomings, you can't tell me that that's similar to facing Big 12 competition. There's no comparison. But it's not. Love Donnell Pumphrey, not the best back in the country. It's well, he's Cook. my year-end no... award winner for, for running backs. Uh, because here's the uh, thing when I look bless. at it. Here's what, when I look at it. We came into the year with LSU and Leonard Fournette. Where he got hurt for much of the year. He's going to be top five pick in the NFL, but we're not talking about who's the best running back that translates to the NFL. Dalvin Cook, another compiler. I, you know, quite honestly, Dalvin Cook, I think out of both of those backs, Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook, I think Leonard Fournette has huger upside because when I look at Leonard Fournette, uh, Leonard Fournette between the tackles, a more Disagree. physical runner. D- Dalvin Cook, when you look at him run between the tackles, he goes down after one tackle. He doesn't break tackles between the tackles. He's a more out-in-space type of runner, and I think that that's when you look at Dalvin Cook, yeah, if you get him on the edge, he's gone. You get him in a passing attack, he's a more versatile player, but in terms of that everyday carry in the NFL... I don't see it from Dalvin Cook. I think he'll break down. Look at that game against Wake Forest. He's a workhorse. Leonard Fournette has been hurt the last two seasons, Joe. Dalvin Cook has been the workhorse of that offense, and he did it in a backfield this year with a redshirt freshman quarterback and an offensive line that, quite frankly, did not give him the support that he deserved. I, I think Dalvin Cook, I know we're not talking NFL, we'll talk about that closer to the draft, but I think Dalvin Cook translates much better. He's also a far superior receiver than Leonard He Fournette. is a better receiver. I will give him 
than that. But again, I've seen Dalvin Cook in big ball games. Yeah, he steps up on the spotlight, but mediocre games. Look at that game against Wake Forest in Tallahassee. He was non-existent in that offense. So there's games where I've seen Dalvin Cook not bring his A game, not be focused. Look at that game against Louisville. Once they fell behind by 14 points, Dalvin Cook was a non-factor for the Seminoles. Redshirt yeah, freshman they, quarterback or They had the throw. They had to throw at that point. Of course, they were. They, were they, lost the that, best they lost that the game team. by forty-three. They lost by forty-three points. Of course, the the but, uh, the running back, the running game was neutralized at that point. But Rich, when they were down by fourteen and they were down by seventeen, Dalvin Cook was non-existent. He was walking through the motions. You could see it even in terms of pass blocking. wasn't taking on blitzing uh, uh, defenders to, in terms of uh, protecting DeAndre Francois. Go back to the tape and look at it. He was walking through the motions in that ball game. If if you're asking me, intensity-wise, which player do I want, Leonard Fournette or Dalvin Cook, I would much rather take Leonard Fournette over Dalvin Cook because I've seen him take games off, in my opinion. I can't answer that mm-hmm. for a fact, but what I've seen on film, I've seen Dalvin Cook, through mediocre competition, walk through the motions and not bring his A game, and that's why I don't have Dalvin Cook in a top five uh, ranking on my running back chart here that I just made up before the show here. But w- how enough. about wide receiver? John Ross, seventy-six receptions. Love John Ross. Okay, yeah, love so we're in a, who's your guy for for wide receiver? Corey Davis to me at Western Michigan. I I, I think he's the top receiver in the country. Uh, I I think you look at his acrobatic skills, his ball skills. Um, I, I, I think he's a complete wide receiver. Would have loved to have seen him in the Big Ten over the past couple of years, but I think he's the best wide receiver in the country. I love that pick in, in Corey Davis. Now, my under-the-radar player, I had three. I had Kareem Hunt, Quinton Flowers, and Jacob Park from Iowa State, but I, I agreed to give the award to Kareem Hunt, Rich. When we come back, we'll pick this up. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Rockin' Riley's Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. College football is the best. Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about BYU and Wyoming. Intriguing battle. I, I favor BYU early on here because I just like the physicality on the offensive defensive lines, and I like quarterback Taysom Hill. think he'll go out in style, so I'm leaning towards BYU in this matchup, Rich. Well, let's remember, no Taysom Hill. Uh, he's out. He's done. So it's going to be Tanner Mangum. I, I like the passing of Mangum versus that Wyoming defense. They struggled all year long. I was a little surprised they went as far as they did with the one dimension of Josh Allen and Brian Hill in the backfield. Defense was not very good. So the combination of Tanner Mangum through the air, Jamal Williams on the ground. Again, I like what Kalani Sataki has done in his first season in Provo. I like BYU in this game, but I give a ton of credit to uh, Craig Bowl and what he's done this season. With the injury report to Taysom Hill, are we sure he's definitely expected to miss? Because I saw him at Tuesday at the awards. Is he definitely out for this matchup? Because I think yeah. he might play in this ball game. I could double check it, but uh, I was under the impression that, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. 
BYU quarterback uh, Taysom Hill suffers fourth season ending injury. All right, so, so he's out. He's okay, so definitely. Yeah. So I'm glad that we got that taken care of for that battle. Another intriguing battle that we will be breaking down on next week's show with uh, our analysis and predictions. I like this matchup. Idaho and Colorado State. Intriguing battle. I love what Mike Bobo has done there. Mm-hmm. Quarterback Nick Stevens this year and the rushing attack. And Idaho, I mean, Linehan, a very underrated quarterback. And they're going to be dropping to FCS. So that's that's an intriguing... Yeah. I mean, when you look at the Vandals overall, they want to go out in style. I mean, to make it to a bowl game this year, this team will be into this matchup. Yeah, Paul Petrino has done an outstanding job. Look for Petrino next week to be a candidate at Western Kentucky, where his brother Bobby obviously coached a few uh, seasons ago. So he may not be joining Idaho in the FCS. He might be staying in the FBS did a great job with this Vandal team this year. Yeah, that's one of the matchups that we're going to keep an eye out on. There's some others that we'll get to at the back end of the break. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello right here, Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from Rockin' Riley's. When we come back, we'll be talking about the Sun Bowl, so stay with us. Keep it where it is. We're coming right back from break. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, last segment of the show, Rich and I are talking about our awards. Before we do that, though, I do want to tell people that I was at the College Football Awards, sat down with the whole Bowden dynasty, Terry, Jeff, uh, Tommy, and legendary head coach Bobby Bowden and Ann. That interview exclusively up on my website, gofor2.com. It's a 38-minute interview. It's in-depth. They do have a movie coming out on January 8th. Check it out because really great information and insight from uh, just a true legend in uh, Bobby Bowden. Just great information there at the Waldorf last Tuesday, so check that out. We'll talk about our under-the-radar player. I like Kareem Hunt, uh, Rich, because I I really love the way this kid runs. He took over for a running back a few years ago in David Flewellen. That was a Long Island kid from Toledo. 1,355 yards, average 5.6 yards per carry, eight rushing touchdowns, but he's a physical runner that I think can translate to the next level. Yeah, listen, I agree. Toledo has Toledo has really done a nice job of building offenses over multiple regimes. This year we see with Hunt, with Logan Woodside, uh, Cody Thompson on the outside. They're always very diverse and explosive uh, at Toledo. And Kareem Hunt, whenever he's healthy, the kid could put up 150, 175 yards at the snap of a finger. And and he's done that in the postseason. What did he have last year? I think he went over 200 in last year's bowl game. So very good back, very bright future. And he split time with Terry Swanson this year. So that's the one thing. I mean, and their offensive line, I mean, you look at the last two years now when they had Matt Campbell as their head coach, their offensive line continuity, I mean, second to none because they protect their quarterbacks and they're very solid in run blocking. And that's when you look at the, the Rockets overall a solid solid offensive line scheme that has produced results and I, I just like the way Kareem Hunt runs the, again these are players that for that have inspired me that I think at the end of the year they're deserving of my award because I, I watched them play from the start of their careers till now and I think yeah. he's going to be a I think he could be a pro that a, a guy that translates to the next level short yardage back and really pick up tough yards because he has great size 
Yeah, I agree. That's the beauty of college football, Joe, too. It's one of the reasons why you and I love it so much is it's it's more than just the USC's, the Ohio State's, the Alabama's. When you dig a little bit deeper into rosters, when you go into the MAC, the Sun Belt, Conference USA, you find these gems that are getting it done in relative anonymity. But you and I love to follow those kids because oftentimes they begin their careers with really no attention whatsoever. They're two-star kids. Sometimes they're walk-ons. They blossom, and by the time they're done, they're NFL caliber. Do you have it under the radar? I know you mentioned uh, Yeah, I, I mentioned Javon Rollins-Jones. I'll give you another defensive guy that really impressed me this year. Uh, Javon Rollins-Jones is a uh, defensive end uh built like an outside linebacker at Arkansas State. But let me give you one more. Uh, keeping it in the Power Five, Dorrance Armstrong, uh, uh, also a defensive end from Kansas, was just lights out this season in complete anonymity of Lawrence, no support defensively, 20 tackles for loss, 10 sacks, overlooked prospect from the city of Houston. Kansas got him. They're developing him quickly. He's explosive. He's adding weight. He's just a sophomore, but he's one of those few players with the Jayhawks that really make you sit up and say, boy, how the heck did Kansas wind up with him? And you see Kansas now over over the last year, this year in 2016, much more competitive. They got the victory over Texas. They played their arch rival. Kansas State used to get blowed out in those rivalries. Games are starting to become closer and closer. So change and them possibly turning it around in the next couple of years could be on the horizon. So that's what you look at when you do have new head coaches in new programs. Is the margin of defeat getting less? Is it turning around? Do you see progress? Might not always translate into wins and losses, but the small things on the offense and defensive sides of the ball that you can take notice that you can see the kids are understanding the system so that's a great point surprise team rich i'm picking kentucky because they were able to knock off louisville at the end of the year became bowl eligible and mark stoops finally sees the rewards of all his hard work pay off in lexington yeah, I mean, it was hot seat uh, for this season. I know he has a big buyout. I, I think if they didn't make the postseason, I think somebody would have ponied up the money to get him out of Lexington. Uh, they turned it around. Now they have a huge bowl opportunity, so I like that pick. I'm going to go with Colorado. Uh, Mike McIntyre did, for me, the unthinkable. To have Colorado playing for a Pac-12 champion, uh, out of the South Division, to win that division, to play physically on defense, physically offensively. They really were the antithesis of the traditional Pac-12 team. What he did in Boulder and the patience that that Boulder administration showed in him really was remarkable. To see the renaissance of Colorado football was the biggest surprise for me in 2016. Great job. I can't disagree with Mike McIntyre. I thought they would be better, but to take them to the Pac-12 championship, just a yeah. phenomenal, phenomenal job by Mike McIntyre, former San Jose State head coach that brought success to Folsom Field and Boulder this coming season. Well, we have about a minute left, so two things... In Two categories left. Team that disappointed for me. So many. I'm going to go Michigan State, Rich. Just throw a team out there that disappointed. Yeah, actually, I was going to say Michigan State. I'll say Duke. I've grown accustomed to Duke at least being in the postseason. Uh, tough year for David Cutcliffe. Hopefully they bounce back next year with Daniel Jones. And my center. coach who exceeded expectations, Scott Frost with UCF. 
I, how about this? I'll go Frank Wilson of UTSA. The fact that UTSA is playing in their first ever bowl game is a big deal for rookie head coach Frank Wilson. And you look at both of those coaches. I mean, that's what it, it's all about, getting your team to a bowl season. Uh, yeah. Both of those coaches doing that. This is what it's all about. Stay with us each and every Saturday. We're going to be here from 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern time right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. For Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi. Enjoy the pageantry at Army-Navy. Have a great weekend, everyone. See you next week. Back on College Football Game Day right here at Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Last segment of the show. We'll talk about the Sun Bowl. I love this game. North Carolina and Stanford contrasting styles, Rich. I'm leaning North Carolina here early on because of their ability to take the top off of Stanford's defense. Yeah, I, I like the way Stanford finished the season, Joe. I really was impressed. I thought maybe they would pack it in after the slow start, but uh, had a good November. Christian McCaffrey was Kish, uh, Christian McCaffrey again at the end of the season. The the inexperienced quarterbacks now have a year, 12 games under their belt. Defense was playing well down the stretch. They have some young corners worth watching, led by Quentin Meeks. I'll take Stanford because they're the hotter team at this time, more complete defensively. But it's a last chance to see McCaffrey. I think it's a last chance to see Mitch Trubisky. I expect him to declare early for the NFL draft. A lot of fun uh, storylines in this game. I'm going to be doing all of my research for these games. So these predictions that we're just given early predictions are predictions for these bowl matchups will be in next week's show at the start of bowl season. It's been a long week for the both of us. Here's an intriguing battle when you look at offenses, Baylor and Boise State. Uh, mm-hmm. The Cactus Bowl, I love I love this field, Chase Field in Phoenix. Intriguing battle. I mean, Jim Grove and the crew, I mean, can they rebound? I love the way they played on the road in Morgantown, a gutty effort. I thought they would play very well. Now they have extra weeks of preparation going up uh, against the Broncos in this matchup. Yeah, I don't know where their minds will be at this point. Jim Grobe is not going to be back uh, back next season. He's already declared it's his final game as the uh, the Baylor uh, head coach. Uh, you have Zach Smith behind center. He's a true freshman. He's going to be preparing for next season. KD Cannon has come out and said, we're going to give everything, uh, play hard. We want to win this final game. We want to get to 7-6. and six. Uh, it all depends on motivation. Obviously, Baylor has the athletes to compete with Boise State. I think it means more to Boise State, to be quite honest. We'll see how that gets. I just think it's a very intriguing battle uh, when you look at the matchup overall. You want to see what style of offense Baylor comes in this matchup because they've dialed it back since Zach Smith has took over the reins for Seth Russell. More of a conservative approach in terms of running the football a lot more consistently uh, under center with the freshman quarterback. So we'll see how that game plays out a little bit later that game is december 27th like i said next week will be our complete bowl special rich and i'll delve into every bowl including the college football playoff this is what it's all about college football 2016 season starting to wind down but we have 40 bowl games including the college football playoff it doesn't get better than this for rich sermonello this is joe lisi have a great weekend everyone enjoy army navy that's what it's all about